Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby. Hi listeners, Stuart here from Thrive Today. You know, many people tune in to a Thrive podcast every week. We're really encouraged by the feedback we receive on how these podcasts are impacting people's lives in very real ways and equipping them as they grow in their faith. Now, our hope and desire is to continue to make these podcasts available for free. However, there is a very real cost to make this happen. This is where you can help us. If you'd like to contribute to assist us in meeting these ongoing production and distribution costs, then please join our listener support program with a monthly subscription. Now, you can do this very quickly and simply. Just go to thrivetoday.tv. That's our website, thrivetoday, one word, dot TV. At the top of the homepage, you'll see a button that says Donate. This will give you the option to support the Thrive Podcast with a donation of 5 or 10 or $50 per month. You can set your own support level. So we hope you'll consider supporting this ministry in this way. Again, to those who are monthly supporters, a huge thank you to you. Your contribution is helping us continue to provide these Thrive Podcasts for free. So it's easy. Visit thrivetoday.tv, click on the donate button. We thank you for your support by tuning in, but also by contributing financially in this way. Now let's jump into this episode of Thrive Deeper with Matt. Well, morning, Matt. Uh, a little bit chilly now. We are in winter. Love but, it. Uh, I yep. love it, Stu, as you know. Actually, I, you bring know it what? on. I better lean back and turn the heater off so oh, everyone yeah. doesn't hear yeah, that yeah, blowing yeah. in our microphone. That's right. Uh, you better do that, Stu. Oh, Otherwise, we'll it. cook. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and we'll cook as well. <laughs> Welcome, listeners. Great to have you with us. Thrive deeper. And uh, we continue our journey through the book of Jeremiah. And uh, today we're going to be picking up uh, from where we left off last time at chapter 16. But I thought it might be good just, Matt, to recount a little bit of the the historical context here, I think just so. to remind people where we're at, and, and a little bit of the political context as well. Those listeners who have been journeying with us through Kings will recognize some of these names, but Jeremiah's kind of prophecies, in particular this segment, 16 to 22, kind of covers a number of kings because we're getting really towards the end of the uh, of the nation of Judah as they you know end up in, in exile. But uh, it begins with Josiah, um, and he, he reigned for about 31 years, and King Josiah was actually one of the ones who was responsible for implementing quite a lot of religious reforms, including re-centralizing worship in Jerusalem and also trying to purge uh, idolatry from the nation. You'll remember perhaps from our king's study that it was during his reign that the book of the law, likely an early version perhaps Mm. of Deuteronomy, was discovered and that actually led to even further religious reforms. But sadly, his son, Jehoahaz, uh, who succeeded him as king. Did, uh, didn't get a very he good go, did he? He didn't get two. a good go. I think he three was like months. three months. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> three months. And then he was actually deposed by Pharaoh of Egypt because at this point in time, there was a bit of a power yeah. struggle yeah. between Egypt and, and Babylon. Yeah. And so he, uh, Pharaoh Nico II yeah. actually appointed uh, Jehoahaz's brother as the mm. new king. Yeah. 
uh, which is Jehoiakim. And, and Jehoahaz was, was taken. Taken, yeah, correct. That's right. Yeah, taken, taken captive, away. Yeah. Correct. Jehoiakim, who was another son of Josiah, was installed by Pharaoh then uh, to take Jehoahaz's place. He was a bit of a vassal king, you know, uh, yeah. under Egyptian control. And um, it was during this time that really Jeremiah started to really step up and warn the people of Judah about what was impending in That's terms right. of what and, was happening. And one of the reasons, Stu, of course, is because they're, they're thinking, oh, God's going to help us rebel against the Babylonians. Jeremiah's saying, nah, no, no, he's not, because yep. you haven't been with God up to now. Yep. I mean, the interesting thing with Jehoiakim is, and, and let's just uh, emphasize his name, Jehoiakim, as opposed to Jehoiachin, his son. Yep. I mean, it's yep. like, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. so confusing. Yep. Um, so Jehoiakim actually rebels against the king of Babylon, doesn't that's right. he? Yep. Uh, uh, but then he dies mm. while the king of Babylon is down with, you know, coming with uh, punishment. Is. Exactly right. And his, his poor son, Jehoiachin, uh, who's not, well, his poor son, he's not a very godly man himself. No. But he only reigned for three months as well. Another three another, months Another there. short that's reign. Right. And then, of Before course, he's he was taken captured into by, exile. Ba- yep. by the Nebuchadnezzar this time and taken uh, to, to Babylon, absolutely. Um, and that was really the sort of the start, I guess, of the Babylonian exile. Yeah. But then, of course, King Zedekiah comes. He was the last king of Judah, and we, we start mm. to see Zedekiah coming into the picture as yeah. we work through this last book. He was yeah. also appointed by Nebuchadnezzar, a bit of a puppet king. Uh, but again, he rebelled uh, against the Babylonian rule, and uh, that's what led to the siege of Jerusalem, which yeah. we're, we're going to get to uh, later here. And uh, it, shows, it shows, doesn't it, Stu, how delusional they actually were. Oh, yeah. I mean, they've got this incredibly powerful nation, uh, they're a small nation state. The nation of Judah is a small nation state. And they really think that they can stand against the Babylonians. Now, they did partly because, you know, they had these trust in foreign alliances. So, yep. Yep. you know, they thought that they'd be a part of a bit of a block and it was with their immediate nations like the Ammonites and the, you know, around mm. them, mm. Moabites and so forth, Edomites. But then it was also with Egypt often, you know, there was a bit of back and forth with Egypt. The relationship yep. was good and there was bad and good and bad. Yep. Um, so they're, they're trying to really stand against the Babylonians in the belief Largely in the belief that we're God's chosen people and God would never let us. Regardless of what we do. Yeah, he would never let us fall. And actually, um, this is where Jeremiah's message seemed like kind of heretical in a way to them. Because it's like, no, no, we're God's people. We're invulnerable, thanks very much. And of course, Jeremiah says, well... If you stick with God, you're safe, but you haven't for generations been sticking with God. Yeah. And and this is kind of where we where we pick the story up. Jeremiah's already been starting to talk about this. You know, as we said last time, it does feel a bit repetitive because it is the same kind of warnings that Jeremiah's trying to give, but the heat's dialing up now. That's right. And, and there's some interesting things in this yeah. range that we're going to look at today, some very interesting things. Yeah. First of all, Stu, in chapter 16, it's mm. really interesting to note, here's an, his, and this we see this a bit with the biblical prophets, a very interesting feature of biblical prophecy, where the biblical prophets themselves, their lives are meant to express the message. Mm. I may say at great cost, you know, mm. and um, we've talked in the past about, for example, Hosea, you know, who was to marry this essentially a prostitute, prostitute yeah. you know, and, you know, have kids by her. And his whole life was was to embody this Message, man, it was a costly occupation yeah, being right, yeah. uh, being a prophet. Not just because of what you were going to suffer by bringing an unpopular message, mm. unpopular to say the least. As mm. I said, seen as being heretical, really. But you you had to really embody this message uh, in in different ways. Here, Jeremiah's told not to marry, yeah, 
partly because, of course, God knows what's going to happen to him. The poor guy's going to uh, be taken captive into, you know, to Egypt and, uh, mm-hmm. well, by his own people, really, mm-hmm. and dragged mm-hmm. into Egypt. And so he's not to marry. He's not to attend funerals or other or customary other feasts. Or, yeah, or you know, that's yeah. right. So he's not, he's not permitted to be part of normal sort of social life. As you say, because really God's calling him to model what it's going to be like. Yeah, that's right. For the nation yeah. when his judgment comes. And and this in a close knit society in Jerusalem, and Jeremiah, who's quite a well known figure, yeah. this is going to actually say something to this. But this is this is God's way of getting across to this people. You know, it's God's in a sense here is turning up the volume mm-hmm. by getting Jeremiah to demonstrate this message in this in, in these ways. Yeah. You know, because yeah. it would be very, very unusual for a a man not to marry, you mm. know, to spurn that. And so for him to deliberately stay single is a big demonstration of something, yeah. you know, like it shows actually, it shows his own faith in the message that he's proclaiming. Exactly right. I'm not like, going I'm not to, marry I know be- what's going to happen. That's right, because disaster is <laughs> and coming. And I truly believe it's going to happen. Exactly. exactly right. So I'm not going to marry and have kids yeah. because of this d- disaster is inevitable. So, you know, really God's getting Jeremiah's faith to be a demonstration of the surety of what is about to happen yeah. as he's announced it. So really, uh, really interesting. It's another interesting thing here, Stu, is that he says in verse 14, you know, the days are coming when it will no longer be said, you know, uh, as surely as the Lord lives who brought Israelites out of Egypt, but it will be said as surely as the Lord lives who brought Israelites up of, out of the land of the north. Yeah. And he's talking about Babylon, even though it's east, you you mm. would have to come down from the north to go back and forth from there. He's predicting restoration. He says, you know, for I will restore them to the land I gave to their ancestors. You know, it's interesting that he mentions this because that's not really any – well, is it consolation to that generation? Because this is going to happen in about 70 70 years' years. time. So it's this generation's going to – well, a lot of them are going to be killed and and, and they're going to go through terrible suffering. The survivors are going to go into exile. So it's interesting that he's – He's predicting uh, beyond that, and he's re- this is really about God, his faithfulness. So the thing, so in other words, he's referring to the fact the things that these people are concerned about, and that make them see Jeremiah as kind of heretical. Hey, we're the people of God, and God made an everlasting covenant, covenant with yeah. us. They're right about that, and. The message is, yes, but that doesn't mean that you get to participate because you have been unfaithful to the covenant. God will be faithful. And so he will bring your people back to the land and he Mm. will restore the city and so forth. And so God will be faithful, but that'll be in the long term. As for you guys, you, you you know, it's it's a done deal. So that's an interesting. um, And then then it moves into uh, chapter 17 and that that famous passage about the heart and talking about the soul. Yeah. Uh, Deceitful beyond cure. That's right. And that really is the rationale behind, because he's addressing the fact that they have a disease, you know, this this continual rebellion Mm. against God Mm. is essentially, it's like he describes it as being like incurable disease that they have. And and he's going to, Jeremiah is going to be one of the prophets that's going to predict the new covenant and the coming of the Holy Spirit in Jeremiah chapter 31 from about chapter, uh, verses 31 and following. Mm. He's going to predict, and, and he's going to allude to that actually uh, in, in elsewhere. But um, so he is going to predict the coming of the Holy Spirit as the cure to this disease to sort of free them. Uh, but at this stage, you know, he's pointing out this is why why this has got to happen, you know, yeah. th- that this disease, in, at least in this generation, has been so deeply entrenched that I'm going to have to, in a way, uh, cut off this 
disease branch to yeah. save the tree, well, in a sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, the fact that you think that you can still trust in the God who you've actually denied largely to rescue you says you're deceiving yourself. Really, that's yeah. that's really what's happening here. You're, yeah, you're trying to tell yourself true. God is going to come and rescue us because of this covenant, but the reality is you've walked away from him for, yeah. for generations and and you're deceiving yourself. If that's you right. That's yes, and so this no, no, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine attitude yeah, exactly. is actually part of the disease that causes mm. this delusional sort of self-righteousness. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, you know, and self-righteousness is a delusion. I mean, mm. In, in any of us, it's mm. a it's a delusion, mm. and, and I think even today it's possible for us, you know, to be yeah. to be like that where we justify things because our hearts. I, well, there's a good reason for yeah. that, even though we know potentially that that's not the thing to do. And you know, in a sense, that's how we can harden our hearts is if we keep justifying things that yeah. the Holy Spirit's trying to convict us is not right. And it's interesting in relation to that back. Just sorry to go back to yeah, the no. chapter yep. sixteen uh, for a moment. It's he says in verse ten when. Uh, when you tell these people this and they ask you, why has the Lord decreed such disaster against us? Mm. Uh, what wrong have we done? I mean, it's like yeah. he's he's predicting that level of, you know, delusion yeah. uh, in them. Uh, what's, you know, when they ask you, what sin have we committed against the Lord, our God? I mean, honestly, can you? Really? Really? <laughs> you know, and it's interesting, actually, in reply, he says, then say to them, it is because your ancestors forsook me, declares the Lord, and followed mm-hmm. other gods and served and worshipped them. They forsook me and did not keep my law, but you have behaved more wickedly than your ancestors. Mm-hmm. So there's always this sense of multi-generational sin. It's like, it, it's like this rebellion, this attitude or this disease, as yes. we've been uh, describing it has been gaining momentum through the generations and God wants to stop that momentum, right? So to save the next generation. So these disasters are going to be like this, you know, drastic treatment, you know, to actually allow for the faithfulness of God in the future. You know, it's as, you know, as I described his family in a sense as a, as a tree, as we often say, but he talks about the stump of Jesse, you know, like it's going to be reduced to a stump. Yeah. That's called pruning. Like honestly, (laughs) serious pruning. So, you know, and so this is essentially the, the message that Jeremiah is bringing, isn't it? Interesting, just a small thing here in uh, verse seven to eight of chapter 17, almost direct echo of Psalm Psalm 1, yeah, but blessed is the one who trusts the Lord, his confidence is in. They will be like a tree planted by the water. It sends its roots, you know, interesting little uh, parallel there. Yeah, and it's coming straight out of the back of uh, people who trust in in flesh and man. So it's kind of saying, no, don't trust in man, don't trust in the wisdom of men, uh, but trust in God. One of the things that we've been pointing out, Stu, is the the, throughout the prophecies of Jeremiah is the dialogue. It's a, yeah. it's a very moving part of this because you're getting not only the words that God is speaking to and through Jeremiah, but you're getting these responses of Jeremiah. And he struggles, doesn't yeah. he? He's oh, really yeah. struggling with this. And and he's straight about it too. He's very know? straight about it. It brings like, some really honest complaints, as we'll see uh, further on. Um, but it's interesting here that he's actually praying for this judgment to come because he's been so persecuted by this people. Yeah. And they're saying, as if that'll ever happen, you know, that's that, there's no way that's going to happen. And so they strike back at Jeremiah. And so he now is praying. On the one hand, his heart is broken for his people. But on the other hand, he wants this to happen so yeah. that they will actually see that these words that are being spoken to them are, the are, are true. You know, it says in verse 16, 
Uh, he says, they keep saying to me, so verse 15, they keep saying to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it now be fulfilled. You know? And then he says in verse 16, I've not run away from being your shepherd. You know, I've not desired the day of despair. What passes my lips is open before you. So he's saying, I don't, this is not what I want. But then he says down in verse 18, verse 18 mm. bring upon them the day of disaster, destroy them with double destruction. It's like, whoa, like he's really... On the, on the one hand, he's anticipating this judgment as the fulfillment of the words that he's speaking yeah. against their doubts and their mocking. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, he struggles with that at yeah. the same time. Yeah. You know. Then there's this interesting big chunk around observing the Sabbath. Yeah. You know? yeah. This, this is interesting, Stu, because it seems to be that this is almost looks like a kind of symptom of this problem, this yeah. um, incurable disease that they have. Symptom and potentially cause as well. Yes, that's a good point. That's mm. a very good point. If we were actually yeah. stopping and reflecting, yeah. which is what the Sabbath was designed yeah. to be, maybe right. we would be reconsidering. Yeah. Yeah. It gets quite a bit of space here. It does. And it really, you know, God really focuses uh, on this. You know, the Sabbath, you know, says in verse 21 there, and we're in, still in chapter 17. Mm. This is what the Lord says, Be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day or bring it through the gates of Jerusalem. Do not bring a load out of your houses or do any work in the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your ancestors. Verse 23 says, mm. Yet they did not listen or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and would not respond, uh, listen or respond to discipline. But if you are careful to obey me, declares the Lord, and bring no load through. It's like, what is he talking? What is, is that just, you, you know, it might well be asked, what, what's the big deal here? And the big deal is that, as you say, they're not, they're not giving themselves to, to, to stop and time reflect. to self-reflect yeah. on their state. So as you say, yeah, it's like a symptom and a cause. It's, mm. uh, it's, it's the cause of the problem uh, in the sense that they're not giving themselves time to reflect. But it's also a symptom in that they really are disregarding. This is disregarding the fourth commandment. Yes. So they think, oh, you know, um, they're, they're just kind of sweeping this aside. Oh, it's not, not that important, you know, for whatever reason. And we know that, you know, by the first century, this becomes a bit legalistic. You know, Jesus uh, mm. sort of, you know, addresses this. Mm. But it doesn't take away, actually, from the importance of the commandment. You know, no, this is a time no, to totally. stop and actually reflect. And, it, and I think, you know, for our purposes, Stu, you know, the principle is that particularly in our culture, we can get so busy and, mm-hmm. and just go flat out and barely lift our heads. And we, you know, we just maybe assume that things maybe are going well, or maybe we have this, you know, lingering feeling that things are not quite right, but we never give ourselves time no, that's to right. actually or, or, or reflect e- Exactly. On we're so busy and we think we're doing great work for God even, but we actually don't stop to actually have God say to us, uh, you know, yeah. uh, and that, that's what that's for. And I, and I think it's good that you referenced Jesus because I think it's important that although Jesus did speak to the legalism that had come in around that, it was still important in, in, in Mark 2.27, you know, Jesus talks about the fact that the Sabbath was for the benefit of humanity yeah. and it was for rest, restoration and spiritual reflection. Yeah, that's right. and so, you know, it is important that yeah. we find out, find that time to actually stop and reflect and that actually opens an opportunity for God to maybe correct us if we, we are heading yeah. down a path yeah, in our busyness right. that isn't the way he wants us yeah. to go. That's yeah. right. It's, it's, you know, it's that thing, isn't it, that it's losing, you know, those contemplative spaces where we can actually hear from God and mm. allow uh, us, you know, to, to respond to what God is pointing to in our lives. And the loss of that actually can be quite disastrous. And we see that here. But then it compounds the problem because then when we're in a bad place, we're less likely to make, to want to face that exactly. and to, to yeah. allow for that time. Yeah, and so on. that's what we see uh, mm. happening here. In 
classic fashion, you know, the, this prophetic illustration uh, comes here now in verse 18. God says to Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house. And so he went down and, and he watches him shape this pot. And as yep. the potter is shaping this pot, um, it gets marred. And uh, so he, you know, he, he destroys it, flattens it and starts again. And God's saying, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. So in a way, this is, I mean, it's a, it's a bittersweet sort of message that he's going to bring about this pot. Because on the one hand, the pot's going to get made. God is going to form his pot, right? But he's going to do that by flattening it in its current form. Yeah. And so this is, you know, this message, again, it's, it's a, a great illustration of what's going on here. Because again, God is saying, I am faithful, right? Mm. I'm going to shape you into the people that I've promised that you would be mm. uh, as a people. But uh, right now, I'm going to have to flatten you to actually create something malleable and yeah. uh, that I can shape into into what I want. And so interesting, interesting, it goes on and it goes on and speaks. You know, God speaking to Jeremiah that if you set out to do good but you don't, He can take that approach and flatten the pot. But if you end up doing evil, He'll yeah. flatten the pot. But He can change His mind if you change yeah. your ways. And so there's still this kind of opportunity where if you turn back yeah. from your ways yeah. uh, or you turn away from good, God will flatten the pot. And so this kind of sense of God's authority and and dominion over all nations, not yeah. just over the nation of Judah, this sense that yeah. Babylon, whoever it is yeah. you think. Yeah, he, he will. And, and God is always eager to for people to know that he is responsive to repentance. Yes. Know, he's responsive yes. to repentance. Actually, what, what you see is actually happy to at least appear as though he is. Uh, changing his mind. And that's an interesting thing. I think we can be too theological about this. Uh, and I mean, I that sounds funny to be too theological, but to sort of place a kind of logical, abstract, logical yeah. grid over this and, well, God doesn't, you know, God doesn't change. And so he can't change his mind. And mm. yeah, but actually in the relational interchange, he wants his people to know that he's responsive. So he says, I will do this. Uh, but then they repent. Oh, now I, no, won't. I won't. You know, yeah. so there's, you Which see that in a number easy. of yeah. places in scripture. Verse nine, yeah. at another time I announced that I will build and plant a nation or a kingdom. However, if it does what is evil in my sight by not listening to my voice, I will not bring the good I had said yeah, that's I would right. do yeah. to you. And so the exactly. sense of, you know, I, I am sovereign. Over yeah, that's this. right. Yeah. You know, as we've said, Stu, they're not happy with this, no, definitely with this message. This is not the sermon that they wanted to hear that, mm. uh, you know, that day. So... It says in verse 18, and we're still in chapter 18, mm. uh, they said, come, let's let's make plans against Jeremiah, yeah. for the teaching uh, of the law by priests will not cease, nor the counsel of the wise, nor the word of the, from the prophets. So come, let's attack him with our tongues and pay no attention to anything he says. <laughs> now, there's a, a bad idea in the mm. history of bad ideas. Mm. And then you get this wonderful prayer of uh, of Jeremiah. And essentially, it's an imprecation. Uh, imprecation is like calling down curses. Yeah, it's a strong. Yep. You know, it's a strong prayer. Uh, you know, and and again, he's saying, God, how long am I going to have to sit in this tension of saying these things and be persecuted? You know, before these things begin to happen, and my words have indicated. Mm. And it's not. It's not that it's all about him, but he's he's uh, frustrated in a sense by their. Uh, well, I think how, he, how delusional they are. Yeah, I think probably he's also frustrated that he feels like, you know, he got the short end of the stick yeah. from God's point of view. I'm having yeah. to tell all this stuff and it's like, could you just get on with it almost? Yeah. You know, there's a sense of um, 
I've got to keep doing this and keep telling these people who don't want to hear this. Yeah. Uh, bring it on because it's yeah, I know. exhausting them. You know? Oh, he's pretty angry. And, and, and look and at, is, look at yeah. verse 23, right? Yeah. But you know, Lord, all their plots to kill me. Do mm. not forgive their crimes or yeah. blot their sins from your sight. Now, I mean, again, we can come to this with this theolo- oh, you shouldn't this theological kind of response. Well, you shouldn't really, you know, pray that, and and that's not. Oh, but you know, I mean, uh, you know, he's not talking about ultimately. He's he's saying, mm. no, let this let this judgment come upon them because they're not responding. So in a way, mm. he is kind of consistent there because he he's he sees that they're not responding, right? Yeah. Which means that God is going to bring this yeah. uh, upon them, and and they're not going to really receive forgiveness because they're not repenting. Essentially, mm, yeah. but at the same time, he's just angry. You yeah. know what I mean? And sometimes, and 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 I think, and we need to take that to God. That's what Jeremiah yeah, is doing right. here. Yeah. Instead of just trying to say what he thinks God wants to hear him say, he's actually expressing how he feels. Ah, yeah, it, which absolutely. is what relationship is about yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah, you know, I think that's what God wants from us. Now he's going to then yeah. redirect that, yeah. most likely. But in, in us, uh, but you know, we. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to express how we feel, yeah. and this is clearly how Jeremiah is feeling. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <clears throat> and that's right. We don't always have to justify. Well, you can't say that. You should. Yeah. It's like no. These the people are just saying how they feel. Yeah, and and as you say, that highlights the relational element of this. In chapter 19, you know, he does this again, this prophetic act. It's interesting, these prophetic acts, isn't it? Because yes. he, he takes this this jar, and, and these pot, can yeah. be quite big, these clay these, mm-hmm. uh, these clay pots. I mean, they can, uh, you know, be like, you know, three to four, even to five feet, quite yeah, big yeah. things. So, yep. you know, and, and I think probably for effect here is he takes a big, big one. I reckon he would have been t- taken a big clay pot, mm-hmm. goes into the Valley of Ben-Hinnom. This is where a lot of the idolatry, the child worst of the idolatry yeah. is the child yep. sacrifice that was yep. performed. Yep. And you know he goes there and he smashes this pot to you know mm. uh, you know to bits, and you know and that sh- that's sort of this you know picture of the judgment that he's going to bring uh, upon them. You know it's interesting though that there's no evidence that this was happening. I mean it could have been happening in this genera. It could have they could have gone back to that. Yes. I mean Josiah obliterated all of that that all, that uh, yeah. the cult of the the, uh, the Valley of Ben Hinnom. You know, again, a lot of this is about what happened previously as well. This is, and I know this is funny for us, this this idea of corporate judgment, you know, the fact that, well, there are things that happened, you know, a generation back or two generations back and, yep. and we're now receiving the consequences of that. Well, in a way, I mean, you know, they were participating uh, in that uh, and, and Jer- Jeremiah was prepared to identify them with the sins of Manasseh and so forth. Mm-hmm. And it was Manasseh who, who was, you know, this is going back before Josiah even, it, you know, he, he is the king that, that really established this cult in the Valley of Ben-Hinnom. It's a terrible, mm-hmm. terrible cult. Yeah. That was a Canaanite cult. It was practiced uh, in, in Canaan um, very frequently. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, Manasseh really goes for broke with his sacrificing their children in the fire. And this is something that God, you know, is an absolute abomination. And and so, you know, um, essentially, even if they're not at the time, he's going down into the valley and say, now, you, you know, remember what happened in this valley, these atrocities that happened yeah. in this valley. This is This judgment is coming because you have not repented of that. Right. And and you know what I mean? They hadn't repented. So, and it's not enough just to say, oh, yeah, but that happened two generations ago. Yeah. No, but uh, actually, you know, the, the expectation is that you need to repent not only for your sins, but the sins of your fathers. There's a sense of each generation has the opportunity to actually put a stop to that momentum of sin in their generations. And so interesting note there, I think, or you know, interesting 
example of that corporate sin that's yeah. so foreign to our worldview and multi generational sin. Yeah, mul- too, yeah, multi generational sin. You know that yeah. we would that we would need to re- repent of sins committed generations before. I mean, remember these people are ce- celebrating festivals that are making them like the f- festival of booths and so forth, where they remembered the sins in the desert. Yeah. Like even thousand years later, they're, yeah. s- they're still doing this even today, right? Yeah. It's like remember those sins and be penitential about that, so that you don't. Repeat yeah. them. You know, he wanted them to remember those things and and have a repentant attitude to it. It's not about you know that God isn't forgiving or if they you know it's like how many times do you have to say sorry or no no it's remembering and being sorry just because you know there are things that I did in the past that I received forgiveness for but it doesn't mean that I'm oh I'm not sorry about that anymore yeah, you know because right. actually remembering those things actually is sobering in the yes. present well it's like yes. actually this and is and it makes sure know, we don't go back there again yeah that's right yeah you know. and so and you know putting that into a multi-generational context mm. i mean these people are god is wanting wanting them to take responsibility for the sins that have been committed in the past because he's saying you've got the same disease yeah right yeah. you've got the same disease and as we know in exodus 34 you know the sins of the parents to the third and the fourth generation yeah, yeah visit upon the children, the children yeah. yeah uh you know it's it's god is allowing the dominoes of human responsibility uh, to fall. you know to fall uh, because that's that's the level of empowerment responsibility that we have you know yeah. Yeah. some of this clashes with our sort of contemporary individualistic worldview but I think it pushes against it in some good ways yeah then we meet this fellow called Pashur we do uh, what a character he takes it upon himself to put Jeremiah the prophet into stocks yep <laughs> I mean yeah. you're you're you Smart know you're move. in trouble mm. when you do that mm. um, and and of course he's doing that because he thinks that Jeremiah's being essentially heretical. Uh, but it's interesting because he was the, his role as sort of the overseer, you know, of the, of the temple. But it's interesting that, you know, Jeremiah was made, you know, referred to previously to his call. God said, I'm making you an overseer of nations. And, yeah, right. and so, you know, you've got this irony where the overseer of the temple is judging the overseer of nations, nations. Yeah. Uh, essentially. Um, and of course, you know, Jeremiah, Predicts judgment uh, upon Peshur, who he does, you know, uh, he 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 goes into exile, and and yeah. so so he yeah, yeah he's certainly going because he happens. you know we see later that he's replaced actually within his lifetime, yeah. and so yes, that certainly came about, but then you know we get the the complaints of complaints Jeremiah of Jeremiah again. really ramps yeah. up. I mean, he even yeah. says to you in verse seven, "You deceived me, yeah, God, yeah. you deceived me, and mm. I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me." That's a real complaint. I mean, does God deceive? But no, yeah. no, no, no God doesn't deceive. This is a complaint in the same way as the writer of Psalm 74 says, Lord, why have you rejected us forever? Yes. Yeah. Knowing very well that God does made an everlasting covenant with his people. But it's like this provocation, this almost like this covenant provocation. It's like, I know that about God, but I feel like you have. You yes. Know? And yeah. so I, I'm bringing that as my complaint. Yeah. That's essentially what you know what you've got here, but it's a moving complaint, Stu, isn't yeah. it? You know, yeah. uh, whenever I speak, I cry, out, proclaiming violence and destruction. You know, um, so the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day mm. long, poor mm. guy. And he tries to. He says, yeah. you know, I decide I'm not going to do it anymore, and then it just burns inside yeah, me. That's right. I can't, I can't win do, either yeah, way. That's right. I can't like, not do this. Yeah, Verse right. nine. Yeah. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is like is in my heart like a fire, mm. a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it. Indeed, I cannot. 
Poor guy. I mean, yeah. it, this is this is a costly, costly calling. Mm. Um, these, you know, these unlike the false prophets, mm. the real biblical prophets, they're not getting gain out of this. No, they didn't want right. this. This yeah. is not. He's saying, I'm not saying this stuff because I want to. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'd prefer not to, but how I I cannot but you know proclaim this. You mm. know, um, it's interesting. There's a somewhere where the apostle Paul says something similar. You know, again, the apostle Paul has suffered terribly for the message that he brought, a calling. Uh, yeah people to repent you know first his people but then ultimately the gentiles and you know he's he says i cannot but preach the gospel he yes. says woe to me if i do not preach the gospel i can't yeah. i can't, can't hold not, it in yeah. you know he, he brings this same uh this same kind and of and then at the end there's burden. a sudden transition to praise you know sing to the lord verse 13 sing to the lord praise yeah. the lord uh, for he rescues the life of the needy from the hands Isn't of evil people yeah. it just suddenly switches to that and then it's back to lament again. It's kind of like, it, yeah. it, which we, which we do see a bit in the Psalms, where you hear this kind of yeah. this long kind of complaint to God, but at the end it kind of says, "Yet I will trust in the yeah, Lord." In a right. sense, that's what yeah. that's what Jeremiah is saying here. All of this, but you know what? What option do I have but to trust in you? Yeah, you that's know? right. I mean, yeah. he says verse fourteen. So this is still in the context of this long yeah. prayer yeah. Um, in uh, chapter uh, chapter, chapter 20. twenty, from verse seven right down to the end of the chapter. Moving, it's I, I've it's so moving because you, you mm. just sense his struggle, you know. And he says, even in verse fourteen, "Cursed be the day I was born. May mm. may the day of my mother's, mm. uh, may the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed the man, uh, be the man who brought my father the news and made me. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, he's not really. I mean, he's he's not. It, it, this is a Job like complaint. Remember, you know, Job. This is th- this was a way. Of expressing the worst possible, yes. like cursed be the day that I was born. Yeah, I wished I was. I had never, never been, been born. born right, yeah. you know. Which again, you know, compare this to to the calling of Jeremiah. You know, you know, before you were born, I knew you, and mm. I called you to this. Right, mm. like yeah. it's interesting, yeah. is it? Because now yep. he's saying, "This is a curse upon me, Lord. This is this calling is a curse upon me," mm. and yet. I cannot but fulfill this. Yeah. Oh man, this stuff is yeah, yeah. is uh, just the tension here. You know, is just palpable. You know, it's it's so human and yet it's so divine. Is there is this calling upon Jeremiah that is absolutely compelling, but he is carrying a cross, isn't he? Yep. He is. I was just going to say, he is so carrying his cross. Such a point forward yeah. to, to Christ, isn't it? Really, uh, it's, <laughs> I, I find yeah. it really moving stuff. Uh, as I said. As we move into uh, chapter 21, we we skip forward actually a bit here, Stu, to the time of Zedekiah. Zedekiah. Yep. And the text doesn't necessarily go chronological. It skips forward and backwards. Yes. It's, it's a, it's, the oracles are ordered a bit more thematically necessarily than, than chronically. Mm. And this is actually after Zed, Zedekiah has rebelled uh, yep. against God and... Against the the Babylonian king as well. Uh, yeah, uh, yes, against the Babylonian king. Sorry, I yes. should, he had rebelled the, against yeah, God too. That's but. <laughs> right. But against the Babylonian king, yeah. the Babylonian king, and he's laid siege to Jerusalem. Two and a bit and, years. And Zedekiah's, oh, oh, whoops. Um, mm. Yeah, maybe that wasn't a great idea. You know, get Jeremiah. Like yeah. now, oh, oh net, right now you want the prophet. Yeah. And it's interesting here that he sends for Jeremiah. It seems that, they're, they're, that everyone really knew deep down that Jeremiah was a real prophet. You know, yeah. they hated his message and he was persecuted, yeah. but deep down they kind of they kind of wanted to hear from him as well. Unless they were just trying every possible, you know, it's like they realized they were in a 
position of yeah, no hope yeah. and it's like let's try everyone you know uh, including Jeremiah I don't know yeah, I, no, no, I think that was probably the case but I you know I think that there was that there was this sense because he says inquire now of the Lord for us because uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, king of Babylon yeah. is attacking us this is not only about what's going to happen but can you favorably can you intercede for us yes. right now uh, I mean God for a start God had told him not to right yes he uh, had and we, we talked about that last yeah. episode. Yeah, that's yep. right. So, I mean, that they recognize, well, you know, who, who, who here has got God's ear, in a sense? Yeah. But no sense of repentance or anything. No, no. Like, for we have sinned oh, against no, God. No, it's that's just right. like, go ask him if he can help us out Yeah, that's here, right. You know? Yeah, that's right. Mm. And so, you know, the responses. Jeremiah yeah. says, you know, I'm about to turn against you the weapons of war that are in your hands. So, you know, he brings this, these prophecies of doom and and he actually makes a prediction about Zedekiah that he's going to be put to the sword and and so forth. Mm. now it's interesting you know cuz Jehoiachin who is his father uh, sorry his uh, his predecessor goes uh, into uh, into exile and he he actually dies in exile he dies of old age in exile but you know Zedekiah is uh, is killed i mean Jeremiah is getting these predictions right yes. on right yeah, yeah. and uh and I mean, I shouldn't say it like that because it's not like some trick. I mean, no. God is speaking uh, to Jeremiah. And in fact, you know, it was after the exile. I mean, he predicts it's going to be 70 years and he gets that right on, right? It's kind yeah. of during and after the exile that these prophets are like, oh, you know, people are thinking, oh, man, these guys really were. Man, maybe we should have listened to them. And that points forward to let's listen to them in the future. Yeah, that's right. Because well. they brought, exactly uh, right. they brought yeah. a future. He does kind of say there when he issues the warning there after Zedekiah's appeal, you know, that if you surrender... Uh, yeah. you'll, you'll keep your life if you stay in the city, yeah. then you're basically going to, to die of famine, sword, or plague. And that, that was yeah. important, actually, because the siege that went on, you know, for, you know, it was a good couple of years under siege. Now, it was very costly for, for armies. I mean, Jerusalem was a very difficult city to breach for yeah. a start, you yeah. know. And, uh, I mean, you know, these days you don't get as much of a sense of that because the valleys are a bit more filled in. And But, you know, it was surrounded by deep valleys and it had these walls. walls. I mean, it's very, mm-hmm. very difficult, you know. And so, essentially, it was difficult to breach. They had to be starved out, essentially. And so, that they went through terrible, terrible things. So, you know, this is things that, you know, it's really heating up here. Mm-hmm. And the, the longer the siege went on, which is very costly for the Babylonians, they're just getting angrier and angrier yeah. and angrier, right? And so... In a sense, by the time they do breach, you know, uh, after something like three years or something, after they do breach the walls, uh, are they are just going to absolutely decimate everything. There's going to be an yeah. absolute bloodbath, which would not have been the case, even though, the, look, I mean, he's already angry because there's already been the rebellion under Jehoiakim, right? He's mm. already given them a chance, mm. okay? You know, it's like one king after another is, you know, is rebelling. This people, you just can't. Yes. You know, what is it with this people? Like, there's these delusions of, of God's favor. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, you know, certainly they had God's promise, From but we've talked about that. Anyway, yeah, that's yeah. right. If they would have surrendered even here, a lot more would have survived and they would have still gone into exile at this stage, um, but there would have been a, many more survivors because essentially they ignored what Jeremiah, Zedekiah ignores what Jeremiah says here. Yeah. Even after having inquired of him, right? You know, bring in Jeremiah. We want to cry. Well, he brings these prof- prophecies of doom. Ignores him, no, that's you right. know, doesn't surrender, yeah. and and that's what brings the you know, disaster to that to that scale. You know, because it's interesting in verse eight. You know, he has this kind of Moses-like uh, address. You know, furthermore, tell the people this is what the Lord says. 
See, I am setting before you the way of life and the, the way of life and the way of death. Whoever stays in the city will die by the sword, famine, and plague. But whoever goes out and surrenders to the Babylonians who are besieging you will live. They will escape with their lives. Again, that would have been seen as you know a betrayal essentially, because the king is working hard to stop people from surrendering. Like he doesn't yes, want to surrender. That's right. And Jeremiah is saying, hey, everyone, surrender. This surrender. You yeah, to you do. need to surrender. Right? Probably people were. You know, this is <laughs> Jeremiah is, is, you know, is in tension here with the, with the king, and he's going he's gonna to pay for it uh, increasingly. Uh, Into chapter 22. Yeah, chapter 22. So this is about, this sort of covers the kings, you know, Jehoahaz. Uh, well, it talks about Josiah because it says in verse 10, do not weep for the dead king or mourn his loss. That's, so this is just going back a yes. bit. Uh, and then Jehoahaz, who was also named Shalom, it talks a bit about uh, him yeah. a little later on as well. Yeah. Um, so he's not going to come back. He's not coming back. So yep. he's been exiled. Do you know what I said? Yeah, he's not going to come back. I mean, mm. this is, mm. you know, mark my words. Uh, his other name, by the way, Jehoahaz's other name is Shalom. Just to make things more confusing than they already asked you, uh, kings often have a couple of different names. And then uh, also he declares judgment on Jehoiachin. So he, he brings this these oracles of judgment against all these buildings because um, Jehoiah, so there's Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, right? Jehoiakim ruled for 11 years, Mm. enough time for some building projects. I mean, building projects, dude, they're all about to get destroyed. Yeah, that's right. And they're building fancy building projects. That's right. And Jeremiah had said to them, this city is going to get destroyed. So what does Jehoiakim do? Oh, let's do, let's build some fancy buildings. Yeah, I mean, he ridiculous, didn't think that, that right? was going to yeah, Ridiculous. So he, he, you know, he declares that, the, that these buildings are going to be, be destroyed. And then he dec- declares a judgment on, uh, uh, on Jehoiah Chin. Uh, he says, even if you, Jehoiah Chin, this is what the Lord declares, uh, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet ring on my hand, I would still pull you off, you know, send you into exile and, yeah. and so forth. And that is exactly what happens. And and then of course Jehoiachin actually went into exile. He was actually released from prison. Ultimately, yeah. we, we read about that That's in Kings, right. yeah. um, and actually uh, acquired some kind of honor in the land of Babylon right. and stayed there. Basically, yeah, right. never, never returned. As which, you said, so. which at the end of Kings, that is a sign of God's enduring faithfulness, uh, faithfulness yeah. to yeah. you know His people. But in verse thirty. It says, this is what the Lord says, record this man as if childless. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's a problem, of course, because of the Davidic covenant, right? Yes. God had promised that the line of David would, would continue never, yeah. right through and would become an everlasting kingdom, right? Through yep. to the Messiah. Yep. Okay. Um, mm. So, the, you know, record this man as if childless. Wow. Right. This is big. Uh, a man who will not prosper in his lifetime for none of his offspring will prosper. None will sit on the throne of David or rule Again. Uh, anymore in, in Judah. Judah. Now you think, what? Hang on, but that's a direct contradiction of the promise Pumps, to David yeah. that there will always be a king seated upon the throne, the, the promise of an everlasting dynasty. So, into verse 23, and we'll just cover the, we'll just finish with the, the yep. last, the first bit of chapter 23, because here we get this, rem- this is, this sets up this remarkable promise. Um, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, yeah. a king who will reign wisely and do what is right and just in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous savior. Mm. And of course, the name Jesus means God saves. This is a you know this is a messianic prophecy yeah. here in the context of having said that Jehoiachin he isn't going to see the fulfilment of you know of, of this essentially. Yeah. 
you know, and this is the big issue for the people in exile after Jehoiachin's death and even after the exile. The big issue was when is this king going to come that that is going to be be of the of the line of David, right? Even that, even the Hasmonean kings uh, couldn't really lay claim to that. The Hasmonean kings were from about 162 uh, BC onwards because there's that period where the the Jews enjoyed an independent kingdom for for a time. Uh, but even they couldn't really lay lay claim to that. So right up to the first century when Jesus came, the big question is, when is God going to bring his king. Davidic king? And yeah. of course, at the time, Herod in the first century, Herod uh, the Great uh, was uh, was ruling when Jesus was born. And uh, he was despised by the Jews because he was, I mean, he was a mixed, you know, uh, like Idumean, like a kind of a, yeah, bit of a, you know, mixed, Mungle? mixed, yeah, a bit of a, I was going to say, and he was, he, you know, he was very, yeah, he was very insecure about yes. that. But, you know, so at the time, so pretty much from this exile right to that time, the big question is, when is this king going to come? And these yeah. are the scriptures that they longed to see fulfilled. You know, mm-hmm. um, they were looking for the king who would be called the Lord, our righteous savior. This is the name of the king, the Lord, our, our righteous, righteous savior. savior. And yeah. so e- even this sort of divine aspect of this kingship is even even predicted here yeah. uh, at this point. So the big... And then even the term, using the term shepherd and sheep yeah. and lost yeah. sheep, the whole thing. Right, yeah, that's right. So he's going to be a righteous shepherd, you yeah. know, and Jesus, you know, I mean, Jesus refers to himself as the shepherd and, mm. and, and so forth. So the big thing here, Stu, is right through this, yes, it's disastrous and he's going to destroy the pot. But the big thing that continually comes through, there's a sense of God saying, but don't ever think that I'm unfaithful because I am going to be faithful to my purpose. But whether any particular generation is part of that depends on our response to that. God is going to be faithful. And we all have the opportunity to step into the faithfulness of God, like step onto the path and become a part of what God is faithfully doing. And that is the implied invitation and promise here in Jeremiah. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thrive Deeper. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, ask questions, see all our resources and much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. We really appreciate the questions and thoughts about what you're reading as we go through the Bible with Thrive. Until next time, our prayer is that these shows will inspire you to go deeper and thrive. 